Welcome back to the Locks on Diamondbacks podcast. And on today's pod, we are discussing who should be the next DH of the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's what we're discussing on today's podcast. So let's jump right into it. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Lockdown Dimeback still here. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all this so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. And of course, if you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or just look up Locked on Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. But as I said to uh, start the show, we are discussing who should be the next DH of the D-backs because it seems like the universal DH is coming back to baseball. I don't think it's officially official yet, but it seems like that's the direction we're moving. Of course, the MLB and MLBPA, the Players Association, still haven't agreed to end the lockout just yet, which has been Kind of crazy, I believe Jeff Passon tweeted out today. We are 11 days away from the deadline the MLB set before we have to start pushing back games in the regular season. So we are getting dangerously close to the start of the regular season being in jeopardy at this point. I think it's safe to say the start of the season will be in jeopardy. I know we haven't talked about the lockout a ton recently. I've had a couple pods where we do updates, but honestly, there's just not much to update about the lockout. Like we're still in the lockout and there's still no progress being made. Like there was a meeting today between the MLB and the MLBPA. And guess what, guys? It lasted 15 minutes. I had a longer meeting today with my Coyotes organization than the MLB and the MLBPA had to come to an agreement to end the lockout for a multi, multi billion dollar industry. So that's where we are right now. So I figured on today's pod, I'm a big DH guy. I absolutely love the idea of bringing the universal DH. I don't know why anyone would be against it. We saw it in the 2020 short season. I thought it was a fantastic idea. I thought it was a fantastic tool that teams could use. I thought it worked out for everyone involved. I thought offenses were a little bit more explosive, maybe at least by the eye test. I at least felt they were more dangerous seeing a real player in the batter's box instead of a pitcher. I think the entertainment value rise as well. I mean, really, who wants to see a pitcher hit? No, I take that back. You want to see a pitcher get a hit, but no one wants to actually see the process of pitchers getting 100-plus bats over the course of a season because guess what? Pitchers stink at hitting unless your name is Shohei Otani because we can't even say Bumgarner or Granke because they're still pretty bad hitters as well. So that's what we're discussing on today's pod. Who should be the next Diamondbacks DH? I'm going to blow my nose real quick. Give me two seconds. All right, I'm back. It is allergy season, so sometimes I have to blow my nose, of course. I know you guys know the struggle, so I'm sorry for that. But we're discussing who should be the next DH of the D-backs. I saw some articles today saying how they're kind of disappointed in the universal DH coming back, how they're kind of sad and it's going to make them lose a little interest in the game because of the strategy, yada, yada, the strategy of trying to decide, man, should I 
to, you know, should I, in my one opportunity this game with the bases loaded and two outs, should I take my best pitcher out the game who's coming up to the plate and now all of a sudden I also don't have my best pitcher starting anymore and now I have to put in some random bench player? Like the strategy of taking out your starter to supplement some bench player for one opportunity in the game is not a very fun strategy. The Brewers were struggling in the playoffs. There was one game I remember where Freddie Peralta was on the mound. He was dealing, but the Brewers' offense was really struggling to score runs. They had an opportunity to score runs. Freddie Peralta came up to the plate, and they had to decide, do we want to keep Freddie Peralta in, who is dealing, one of the best pitchers in baseball, or do you want to take him out for the hopes of increasing our odds by 5% by this bench player that we have that he might get a hit. And guess what? I think they took him out. I think they ended up not getting a hit. Now you didn't have Freddie Peralta in the game in a big playoff game as well. So the idea that that strategy is even fun for baseball, it's just not true. Like, why would I want to see a strategy that either takes out my starting pitcher who could be an ace for some random bench guy? Or I think the strategy I would rather see is Big Poppy in up at the plate and my starting pitcher having to duel him and figure out how to go around him in the lineup. I think there is just as much strategy trying to figure out how to pitch around Big Poppy and, you know, other elite DHs, Nelson Cruz, as opposed to, all right, am I taking Bumgarner out the game so I could put a bench player in to maybe score a run here? Or do I want to let Bumgarner swing the bat and hopefully he gets a hit so he can keep pitching? Like, that's not a very fun strategy. I think there's more fun strategy with actually having a position player consistently play DH for you. That's the way I lean. Anyone who leans the other way, they'll rather see a pitcher up at the plate trying to get a hit there's so many non-competitive at bats with pitchers where they just go up there and they don't even take the bat off their shoulder they just stand up there i've seen taiwan walker a clip was circulating last week where he just stood up there at one plate appearances one plate appearance didn't move the bat off his shoulder took three straight strikes he looked stiff as a board up there standing up straight vertical no bend to the knees and just struck out and didn't care because he's like this is not my job this is not what i do this is not what i practice i hope in the future we get more otanis i hope we get guys trying to pitch and trying to hit and do both like we shouldn't have specialized athletes i've done a lot of research about this over the years yes i've done my own research you can make the jokes about that if you want but it actually is worse for your muscles over the years if you try to specialize in one sport. It's actually better to do multiple sports, get your muscles doing multiple different movements and activities. So hopefully Otani sets an example and sets a new way for youngsters that can both hit and pitch coming up. But that's enough of my anti-pitchers being allowed to hit or people who are anti-DH. Like if you're anti-DH, like I- I'm sorry, you you are the reason why people aren't watching baseball. And you're one of the reasons why baseball isn't as fun as it as it can be because you want to keep boring, non-fun traditions in the game. I, I thought I was going to have a better adjective than fun there, but it- it's just not as competitive or something along those lines. Whatever it is, whatever you want to say. Let's get more offense in the game. We can do that by putting a DH in the game. So let's get to the crux of the pod now, discussing who should be the DH for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the first guy I wanted to discuss for today's pod, uh, I was thinking, should I go out of order of the guys I have here? But I think I'm going to start off with a little Seth Beer action as my first candidate to who could be DH for the D-backs. I'm going to tell you who I think should be the DH for the D-backs at the end of the pod. Right now, we're just going to lay out the cases for these players. So we're going to start with Seth Beer, and I think he has an incredible case to be the DH for the D-backs. One, big power bat. This guy, going back to the minor leagues, if you check his numbers in the minors, huge power, can hit 25-plus home runs, 
uh, easily over 900 OPS. His career OPS in the minors is over 900. So this is someone that has shown a lot of power. Even on his brief stint on the major league level this past season, we got to see some power and home runs. So I think Seth Beer definitely has the potential to be an everyday DH. And if anything, he probably has the profile to do it. One, because he has the power, can be an RBI producer, like I just said. And two, he sucks defensively. I'm sorry. I actually haven't seen a lot of game tape by Seth Beer. At least a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of defensive game tape by Seth Beer. But when I had Zach Buchanan on the pod, every time I bring a prospect host on the pod, they always tell me, this guy is not major league ready to play first base defensively. This guy, Seth Beer, if you remember the end of the season, he got hurt and had to miss the rest of the season. And he got hurt making his one defensive play at first base. Literally the first time the D-back tried to put him at first base, he had to he he suffered a season-ending injury. So maybe defense really isn't his thing, but he seems to have the bat that can still uh he, he seems to have a bat that even though he can't play defense, his bat should still be in the lineup because Again, back in the minor leagues, this guy not only has power, he usually hits for a pretty high average as well. So I want to see what this guy can do on the major league level with a full season of opportunity. I feel like he definitely has the upside to be a middle-of-the-order bat. Now, I don't know if being a lefty you would think is a problem for him because I was doing the math. There low-key could be a lot of lefties for the D-backs. You got Carson Kelly at catcher, who's a righty, Christian Walker, Righty, but then second base, Ketel Marte switch hitters. So that's like a half lefty. Shortstop, no. But third base, if Rojas is there, yes. David Peralta, yes. If you have Paven Smith in the outfield, yes. And if you have uh Dalton Varsho in the outfield, yes. That's already five with five and a half in Ketel Marte. If you put Seth Beer, you can have six, seven guys batting lefty in your lineup. So would that be too much? I think it really depends who's on the mound. Of course, if there's a lefty on the mound, you're probably going with Jordan Leplo in the outfield instead of one of those lefty at bats. So I don't really think Seth Beer being a lefty would matter too much. And usually left-handed power bats look clean, smooth when they swing as well. And they usually have a pretty good career. So I like Seth Beer a lot. This is someone that we got back in Zach Greinke trade. I think it's time to finally see what kind of upside this guy has. I'm done waiting. I don't want to wait any longer. We've been having this guy in the minors for a couple seasons now, waiting in the wings. I think this guy's ready. He's been crushing at the minor league level. So let's get at him a full season of opportunity as a DH, potentially. Now, I got four more guys I want to discuss who could be the DH of the Arizona Dimebacks. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Built Bar because this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions. But not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. Have you ever tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Yummy cinnamon, churro, coconut, marshmallow, banana cream pie. They are so good. And like all the Bilt Bars, they are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew. And what makes the Bilt Bar the greatest protein bar out there? It's low calorie. It's low sugar. It's high protein. It's high fiber. It's great for that keto diet. It's like you're eating a candy bar, but you're actually eating something healthy. If you want to get your own Bilt Bar, just go to Bilt.com. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, all right, all right. 
Let's get back into the podcast. Almost sound like a, who is it? Sylvester the cat? Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss uh the DH for the D-backs. And next up on my list, I have Paven Smith here. I know you guys know who Paven Smith is because I believe he was the first pick made during the Mike Hazen era, 6-2-2-8. Came in as a first baseman, kind of got moved around in the outfield last season because, of course, we had Christian Walker and Paven wasn't quite ready defensively, I guess, for first base, but I don't think he was quite ready yet for defense in the outfield, even though I thought there was times and moments where he made some plays out there. Overall, the numbers tell you Paven Smith should not be a defensive outfielder, which makes a lot of sense. So, like Seth Beer, Haven Smith might not be too good defensively. So what, what does that mean? It means maybe he should be a candidate. Maybe it means he's the perfect candidate to be the DH of the D-backs because there are, of course, obvious flaws in Haven Smith's offensive game. He's not going to hit for high power like uh, Seth Beer. He's probably not going to be a major RBI producer like Seth Beer could potentially be, but what Peyton Smith does do good is he's a great contact hitter. I know that doesn't seem like uh, the most important trait, but this is a guy who was second on the D-backs, according to fan graphs, in contact percentage. This is someone that is not going to just go up there and have a bad plate appearance. He's always going to make good contact. Yeah, he might strike out, struck out over 100 times last year, but he's not going to have bad plate appearances. He knows what's a strike. It just depends if he makes contact on that pitch in over the 90, over 90% of the time, I believe he does make contact. Maybe it's over 80%, whatever it is. It was second on the team this past season. So I like the fact that he's a good contact hitter, can hit for a decent average, and he actually showed some gap power last season. It wasn't tremendous power, but he had his 11 home runs. I think he was second or third on the team in doubles with 27. Like he was, he was solid last year. And some of the advanced numbers suggest that maybe he has a little bit more in that gap power department because his hard contact percentage, or excuse me, his hard hit percentage was actually pretty good. I think it was over 40% overall. Uh, so uh, just a number that suggests that maybe he does have some gap power in his arsenal. And just putting him at DH would at least allow him to focus a little bit more on his offensive game. He won't have to go out there and try to shag fly balls during practice like let's make him a full-time dh because that's kind of my thing with whoever's gonna be dh i kind of want them full-time it'll probably end up being a platoon situation where you just go with the cross matchup depending on who's on the mound if it's a righty put a lefty at bat vice versa yada yada so we'll see what happens i mean you could go uh you know whatever christian walker paven smith dh platoon split whatever but if paven smith is the full-time dh then at least it gives him time to work on his offense full-time maybe he does tap into a little bit more power than we've seen he's still a guy that is still improving he's still in his mid-20s still getting better of course he's a friend of the pod so i have a huge soft spot in my heart for a Paven Smith but there are other areas of his game that makes you wonder whether he whether he could be a good DH because he was someone that came up big in big moments last year in high leverage moments for the D-backs last season he had a 302 average and an 865 OPS and your DH is usually someone at least the way I would like to employ my DH 
he'll probably be someone that I trust offensively to be somewhere near the middle of the order that could come through for me in big moments. So Haven Smith, he does kind of have the track record. The numbers do kind of back up that he's good in high leverage moments and clutch situations. He's at least the same guy. Maybe he's not always getting better. Maybe his numbers aren't always popping off the page in the biggest clutch moments of a ball game, but they never seem to get worse. He seems to at least plateau in those kind of moments. So Haven Smith, for someone that was a first-round pick, for someone that has a lot of flaws in this game and might be a little bit more disappointing than what we might be a little bit more disappointing than what we expected when we drafted him. He's still someone that I like and maybe could become a, a above average everyday major leaguer. But if that does happen, I think it's more I think it's most likely as a DH and not as an outfielder or a first baseman. Now, the next guy I want to talk about as a potential DH for the D-backs is Drew Ellis, and this is someone, unlike Paven Smith and Seth Beer, is a righty, so maybe he adds a little bit more balance. Maybe you do a Drew Ellis, Paven Smith platoon situation at the DH. Who knows? That's always a possibility. Remember, guys, I'm giving you guys candidates for the DH, but if you think, hey, let's just take two of those guys and make them a platoon situation, like a Seth Beer and a Drew Ellis or a Paven Smith and a Drew Ellis, like we could do that too. Don't forget, you can just uh, reach out to me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 with your suggestions. Go check out Locked on Dimebacks on on Twitter tomorrow because I definitely, definitely will be putting a poll out on who you think should be the DH of the D-backs for 2022. But regardless, Drew Ellis, I think, could be a good candidate. This is someone that's a pretty big boy, 6'3", 205, has a, big, has a pretty big frame. I think I combined pretty and big as into one word. This is someone with a pretty big frame that seems to still be filling out a little bit. Um, and he showed real power so far, in, you know, in his uh, short time in the minor leagues. We've seen some real power from Drew Ellis. This past season, he had 20 home runs and over a 10,000, or not 10,000, over a 1,000 OPS in just 81 games in the minors. So this was kind of the breakout season for Drew, for Drew Ellis, who is only 26 years old. This is someone who... I also would like to see a full season of opportunity because he played sparingly during the 2021 season. Like, uh, like his numbers weren't good this past year on the major league level, but he only had 69 at bats. I'm gonna stay away, stay away from any jokes there. But he only had 69 at bats this past season. 130 average, 480 OPS, only one home run. He had. 10 walks to 27 strikeouts, like such a small sample size. I'm not going to make too much out of it for Drew Ellis, someone that we've seen have some power on the minor league level. Now, he does struggle at times in the minors as well. Sometimes he goes into prolonged hitting slumps, but this is someone that has really taken a step forward, it seems, every season in the minors. He comes to the major league level. He struggles mightily, but it makes me wonder if we give him a full season of opportunity at the major league level, would he continue to progress like he did every season in the minors? And also just using him as a DH would also open up third base, I think, full-time for Josh Rojas. If that interests you, Rojas could be a third base regardless if we make Drew Ellis a DH or not. But I think it makes the decision a little bit easier to make Josh Rojas the everyday third baseman if Drew Ellis is taken out of the picture. And maybe, maybe if Drew Ellis does end up becoming a pretty good DH, maybe it makes someone like a, a Christian Walker or a Seth Beer more expendable if you feel like you have a potential first baseman in a Drew Ellis or maybe you feel like hey we could put Drew Ellis at first base or maybe Seth Beer at first base because 
now we see that now we see that Drew Ellis has a production or can at least match the production of a Christian Walker. Now they're kind of redundant in the lineup. Maybe you feel like Drew Ellis makes Seth Beer or Christian Walker redundant and expendable. I'm not saying that will be true. I'm not saying the D-backs will make that kind of move, but I wouldn't be surprised if the D-backs try to move off of Christian Walker and try to get something in return as he starts to enter his early to mid-30s. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to move him at the deadline, especially if the D-backs aren't playing for anything, you know, near the deadline. If the D-backs aren't playing for anything at that point in the season, I wouldn't be surprised to see them maybe make a move and unload one of these corner infielders if they feel like they have a log jam. They want to get the younger guys playing more. I could see the D-backs moving off of Christian Walker because of the potential emergence of a Seth Beer or a Drew Ellis. So we'll see what happens in that situation. But Drew Ellis, like a Seth Beer, He's someone who hasn't had a lot of playing time on the major league level, but he's someone that I would be interested in seeing with a full season of opportunity because Drew Ellis is also a very high, he was a very high draft pick, a former second rounder. So this is someone with real pedigree as well. So I would be curious to see Drew Ellis in a full-time role at the DH spot. Now, I got two more guys for you that could be potential candidates for the DH role for the D-backs, and they are currently not even on the roster, so you guys are going to find out who those two are in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you guys about BetOnline because BetOnline is also, this, no, this episode is also brought to you by BetOnline. That's what I wanted to say before I fumbled my words, but football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fire coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. Bet online where the game starts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's discuss the next two guys on my list because. They are very similar in terms of their production, in terms of how they get it. And they are both also free agents currently available on the market. Hopefully, the D-backs could land one of these two guys post-lockout. But the first guy I want to discuss is Jock Peterson, former LA Dodgers, coming off a, coming off a World Series win with the ATL Braves. And Jock Peterson is someone with... Big time power, and he can give you that Escobar, Eduardo Escobar-esque production in terms of how he gets his power and his numbers. He's also a lefty, which can be a good or bad thing, depending on how the D-backs deploy their lineup. Big time power, as I mentioned, and he's just someone that I don't think would be too expensive. Even though he's coming off the World Series, I feel like he's not going to be worth more than like a $10 million contract annually at least like I can't see someone paying him more than 10 million dollars I don't think he's that good he's someone that hasn't been an all-star since 2015 I believe so it's been a minute since we've seen the best of Jock Peterson but he's still pretty good and still pretty productive and he's not very old he's 29 years old right now so he still should be in the prime of his career and he's also someone that the D-backs 
need in terms of playoff experience. They have, you know, a couple veterans on this roster. They have a Madison Bumgarner playoff experience, but they don't have a lot of Madison Bumgarner. They don't have a lot of Madison Bumgarner. They don't have a lot of guys on this roster. You can say, hey, that dude's been in wars. He's been in the trenches. He's been in the trenches, and he knows what it takes to win a big game. Madison Bumgarner knows what it means, but there's not a lot of guys on this roster that knows what it means. So it's always nice to add some more veteran playoff experience guys onto the team if you can. This is someone that has been extremely clutch in big situations, specifically last year. Jock Peterson was dominant when it came to runners in scoring position. 284 average and an 827 OPS with runners in scoring position. High leverage moments last year. Jock Peterson was also phenomenal. 333 average and a 948 OPS and high leverage moments. This is someone that I think is a good character guy. He seems to be a good locker room guy. Everyone says that you're going to have fun rooting for him when you acquire a Jock Peterson. I think he had a couple big moments in this year's playoffs. So he's someone that I would be interested in bringing in. I don't think he's going to break the bank. And I think he's just going to be a positive guy overall for the locker room, the lineup. And I think he could make an impact on the field as well. Now, the final guy I want to discuss is someone that puts up very similar numbers to a Jock Peterson. That is Jorge Soler. Now, the difference probably between these two is Jock Peterson probably has uh, a little bit more equity in his career. Jock Peterson in his career has four seasons with at least 25 home runs, and he had 18 home runs this past season in 137 games. Jorge Soler, for a reference, only has over 20 home runs twice in his in his career. 2019, he had 48. That led the American League. And then 2021, this past season, he had 27. The only two times in his career that he's had over 20 home runs in his career. But if you look at the averages for both those two guys, they're very close. Jock Peterson, 232 hitter for his career. Jorge Soler, 246. Jock Peterson, OPS, 794. Jorge Soler, 796. The strikeout percentage for Jock Peterson in his career, 24% for Jorge Soler, 26.9%. These two are very similar in their production. And Jorge Soler, another guy who was also on the Atlanta Braves World Series winning team. So just another veteran that can come in and give us some great veteran playoff experience. Another guy, high leverage moments, OPS above 800. Peterson and Jorge Soler are, are clutch guys in the biggest moments, and that's what you need. Someone like David Peralta, Ketel Marte, they were really clutch for the D-backs last season, but a lot of the other guys, they weren't coming through in late-game situations, in high-leverage moments. A lot of the D-backs players weren't coming through last season, the last couple of seasons, really, if we go back to the 2020 shortened season. So adding a Jorge Soler or a Jock Peterson could be a pretty Great value for the D-back. Solar is also a guy who I don't think will break the bank. I think he could potentially get less than Jock Peterson because I think Peterson, like I said before, has shown a little bit more in his career than a Jorge Solar. They're both the same age as well. The hard contact numbers are off the chain for a Jorge Solar. So we know he's going to be bringing power, something the D-backs don't have to their lineup. And Jorge Soler is just someone that I think has been a little underrated at certain points of his career. I guess really the last three years, I think he's been a little underrated. That's why I think it was such a good move by the Braves to pick him up because he was struggling big time in the first half with the Royals this season, 192 average, 658 OPS. But then when he was acquired by the Braves, 269 average and 882 OPS. So a change of scenery can do a lot for Jorge Soler and hopefully 
He continues what he did this past season in the second half of the year, at least with the D-backs if they were to acquire him. So I like Solar and I like Jock Peterson. I think those are two really good free agents the D-backs should consider if they're looking at potential additions to their team to be the next Diamondbacks DH. Now that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Diamondbacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in today. That's it for this week's podcast. It is Friday, so go back and catch up on any pods. You might have missed this past week. I believe we had a crossover with Paul Holden of Lockdown Rockies on Monday. I talked about who has the best championship cores in the NL Central on Wednesday, so go check out those two pods. Of course, thank you mate. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimax your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. As always, come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Go make your second listen of the day. Locked on bets with your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling if you want to put some extra money in your pocket. Now, of course, as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!